0: What's up? Somebody wake me? Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> Jay Soderbergh. That's me. John Luckenbaugh. That's him. Two podcasting veterans. One from the production space. And one from the outer space.
1: And we're, 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 we're Q&A. Weekly news and tips in podcasting. On podcast. Hello and welcome to the queued Up podcast on podcasting. I'm Jay Soderberg, aka Pod Vader. He's John Luckenbau. Hello, John. Hey Jay. Good morning. How you doing today? I'm doing fine. We are pioneers. Uh well, I that's so arrogant of me to say. Should not call myself a pioneer, but we are longtime veterans of the podcasting space. I've been around for 15 plus years. John, you've been around again 10 plus, right? Absolutely. Yep. We're giving you a weekly look on the state of podcasting from a business standpoint and from a technical standpoint. This week, our business topic is going to be all about advertising. We're going to talk a little bit about that Spotify deal, their newest acquisition, and some other advertising stuff. And then John is going to teach me a lesson. What's my lesson this week, John?
0: Microphone techniques, how to improve
1: them. Hmm. I already know microphone technique, but I'm sure I can improve upon them. I'll be interested to hear what you have to teach me this week. As always, you can reach us via the website, which is qd-up.com. That's qdup.com. Uh, John, your email address? Info at qd-up.com. And you can reach me at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter. I'm also available on email next fan up at gmail.com. That's the email for my football podcast. But it's the best those are the two best ways that you can reach me publicly. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search Pod Vader. I'm pretty easy to find. John, how about you? Are you on LinkedIn?
0: I am on LinkedIn. Yep.
1: Hmm, perfect. There we go. Before we get into our topics, uh, we've been test trialing different recording options. Uh, we've used quite a few so far. What are we using this week, John?
0: This week we are using clean feed ooh
1: what do we like so
0: far about clean feed we were talking about the audio quality sounds clean
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will say I think of all the of all the recording setups that we've used so far we've used zoom squadcast Zencaster uh we've we used quite a different number Th- this one does sound in my headphones the most like you're sitting right next to me
0: Yes, I agree. I agree.
1: They they do offer the ability to do separate tracks, although you need to have the pro version to have multi-tracks. On the uh free version that we're using, it uses only one track, but uh the host of the podcast will be on the left side and the guests will be on the right side. Since we're only two people, that works great. But if we had another guest or multiple guests, myself and the other guests would all be on the right side of the track, which could be a problem.
0: The other thing that we're running into on this, as we did last week, is there won't be any video. So we won't be able to see each other.
1: That's, and what we found is it makes it a little bit more difficult for us to avoid talking over each other. There's little tricks that John and I, we haven't developed enough chemistry yet. We're getting there but we haven't developed enough chemistry together when we know when the other one's done talking and it's time for the other one to to speak up and vice versa. The other one might be saying something and then uh, one of us might want to add to that particular point, but they just kept going and they didn't stop and they just keep talking. Kind of like right now. I'm kind (laughs) of doing it on purpose though.
0: (laughs) So we're still using the the same equipment, right? You're still on the, the Yeti?
1: I am still using the Yeti. That will be the one thing that will remain constant throughout this, is I will always be using the Yeti unless it breaks for some reason. And
0: I'm on the Electro voice RE20, and we'll get into that a little bit later with the different types of mics and their pickup patterns. There's something very key
1: about the Yeti that I definitely hope that you bring up, and if you don't, mm. I will be bringing it up. Uh, let's jump into the uh, business topics this week, John. and. It's been made a big deal. Spotify has made another acquisition. They bought the podcast hosting company Megaphone. Now, uh, I'm utilizing information from the Pod News newsletter. It's a daily newsletter put out by James Cridlin. Uh, It's a phenomenal newsletter. highly recommend that you go and you subscribe to it because it does give you sort of a daily look at the podcasting space, and it's very quick to read. Uh, I think the longest one James has ever put out there is like six-minute, eight-minute read. I mean, who doesn't have eight minutes to read what's going on in podcasting? But Spotify buys Megaphone. The Verge reports that uh, the purchase price was somewhere in the $235 million range. Just That's just pocket change to me, wow. John. I <laughs> that just laying around. I, I could probably lift the mattress to my bed, and pull it out. Uh, Spotify says that its streaming ad insertion technology will be made available to all Megaphone publishers. And a note sent to current Megaphone clients explicitly highlights that they will continue to support all podcast platforms, which is important. So there's a couple of things here. One, Spotify already had a hosting company. They had purchased Anchor, I think a couple of years ago. This purchase of Megaphone is more Has more to do about the advertising technology that Megaphone has. Megaphone providing dynamic ad insertion technology that is available wherever they distribute the RSS feed. So it's available on Apple and Spotify and Google and Pandora and iHeartRadio and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This now will give Spotify the ability to monetize these podcasts not only in the Spotify app, but now also provide that advertising to all of the places that that podcast gets distributed to.
0: So Jay, what happens to the
1: the little podcaster? Ultimately, right now, there's not going to be much to be worried about because the Spotify ecosphere is only 10% of the total available listening audience as of right now, today. What has been proposed to me, though, is Spotify's targeted technology does give a potential advertiser the ability to target a specific person. Now, that's because the only way to listen to a podcast on Spotify is to sign up on the Spotify app. And once you do that, Spotify now has a whole bunch of information about that particular user, who they are, where they're listening from, how long they're listening, and all that wonderful stuff. So they can actually tell an advertiser who the specific person is that's listening to that particular advertisement and if they actually listened to the advertisement, or if they hit the fast-forward button. This is important information that Spotify gets because these people are listening on the Spotify app. They will not be able to provide that type of granular information for the people that will listen to a megaphone-hosted podcast on Apple, but it still gives Spotify the ability to sell the advertiser that inventory that's available on Apple even though it may not necessarily be the audience that they're targeting. So it does get a little confusing there. They can target the audience that's listening on the Spotify app. They can't target the audience that's listening on Apple via Megaphone, which is now owned by Spotify, but gives Spotify the ability to sell that inventory as well. This is why people believe things will ultimately move to a closed ecosphere, because... Those other platforms aren't going to want Spotify to be making money off of them, and Spotify will be able to make more money from those targeted ads. Let's say somebody is making a $10 CPM currently using another platform. Spotify will be able to come up to them and say, well, we can make you a $50 CPM. You just have to move your hosting to us on the megaphone system. And that's not necessarily going to impact the smaller podcaster. Because Megaphone doesn't currently deal with hobbyist podcasters, they pretty much have sort of a limit as to the number of downloads that you get per episode to host your podcast on Megaphone and to access all the wonderful tools that Megaphone has in their advertising marketplace. So is this a rich get richer type of thing? A little bit. To me, this is more about Spotify acquiring advertising technology that they don't currently have. And instead of developing it themselves, it was just easier to acquire and probably cheaper in the long run to acquire, to put the man hours into sort of back engineering, whatever Megaphone has and implementing it on the Spotify side of things. Megaphone hosts 5,500 shows. This is again, news according to pod news, 40% of those shows were opted in to sell ads through the platform. Pod News also suggests that Megaphone is currently selling only 10% of their available ad inventory, which is crazy. The biggest selling point of Megaphone for a lot of the bigger podcasters out there was the ability for them to sell their own ads using the Megaphone tools. There aren't a lot of hosting places that offer dynamic ad insertion that will allow the podcaster to sell their own ads and then utilize the dynamic ad insertion for their own ads. Megaphone was allowing that. So uh, I'm a little less concerned about that 10% number, more so about the 40% number, which seems rather low because that's the whole point of using Megaphone. With Spotify's ad sales, that's expected to rise to 70%. And Megaphone also brings more inventory for Spotify to sell because it brings in 5,500 shows. The other thing to remember is when you're utilizing dynamic ad insertion, what the podcaster does is they put in checkpoints into their podcast. So you know exactly where you're going to insert those ads. And that's the thing that Spotify doesn't necessarily allow yet on their platform. So you can host your podcast on Spotify, but the only places Spotify can currently sell advertising inventory on the Spotify app is a pre-roll or a post-roll, the very beginning or the very end of a show, because they don't know anywhere in the middle. You might've experienced this on YouTube YouTube doesn't care. They'll just randomly throw an ad in the middle of the content, <laughs> which is the most annoying thing, it is. I think, on the face of the planet. I-, I was doing a workout this morning watching a YouTube video, <laughs> and an ad popped up in the middle of the workout. And I was like, what is going on? Yep. Why is the... It, I, I, and I'm like, "The user, there's no way the content creator selected that point to put the ad in, because it was literally in the middle of the workout, not during one of the rest portions of the workout. That drives me crazy. Utilizing dynamic ad insertion on Megaphone, the content creator chooses the point that they will put the advertisements in, which now gives Spotify that knowledge of where to put the advertisements in. So now Spotify can sell mid-rolls from shows that are on Megaphone because they now know where those ads are going to be placed. iHeart Media currently uses Megaphone for 489 shows, which is interesting because I actually thought iHeart Media was on Omni, not Megaphone. And they obviously just purchased VoxNest last month, which is a hosting company with dynamic ad insertion technology. And the reason why iHeartMedia purchased that particular company was for the advertising technology and perhaps for the hosting technology too, because iHeartMedia didn't own their own hosting platform. So now they do, and now they have uh, (laughs) ad technology. It will be interesting to see how quickly those 489 shows uh, move off of... Megaphone, and move over to Voxnest, which owns Spreaker. That would be the hosting platform that they end up moving their podcast back to. I don't know if it's good or bad news, necessarily. I can see a move to the closed podcasting ecosphere, but at the same time, I can see the arguments for keeping it open. And that being, there's a much larger listening audience in terms of the podcast listening universe Altogether by keeping things open. Whereas if you close things off, as I said, Spotify currently is only getting 10% of all listening. It is growing, but none of the listening destinations, let's put it this way, none of the listening destinations will ever be 100% of the listening universe. They're only going to be a percentage of the listening universe. And since Apple currently owns 65% of that particular universe, How fragmented are they willing to let it go before the advertisers say, the audience is too fragmented, we're not going to buy any podcasts?
0: I wonder how many people are willing to join a paid subscription compared to an open marketplace.
1: There was an interesting uh, study done recently by The Morning Consult, uh, morningconsult.com, which says converting podcast listeners into paying customers Isn't easy, but taking out the ads is a good start. Now, the Morning Consult uh, is a service that does a lot of surveys. Uh, They do a lot of research into all sorts of different topics. So this is just happens to be one of the topics that they recently did. Morning Consult survey was conducted from October eighth through October eleventh among one thousand two hundred and eighty seven adults who said they listen to podcasts at least a few times a week. This was a week-long survey conducted in October of this year, and the sample size is only 1,287 adults. So take all of that into consideration. Now, of these 1,287 adults, they say they listen to podcasts at least a few times a week. So these are hardcore podcast listeners that they did talk to about this information. Of this group, 21% of podcast listeners subscribe to a paid podcast service a figure that increases to 30% among frequent listeners. Among frequent podcast listeners who don't currently subscribe to a paid podcast platform, 27% said they are likely to do so. And 31% of podcast listeners said their favorite podcast platform is Spotify, making it the most loved platform. Again, understand this is a very small sample size, but it does appear that Spotify's presence in the podcasting ecosphere is growing despite the fact that they still only account for 10% of all podcast listening. Understanding what the demographic is of the frequent podcast listener. Again, remember their sample size is only 1,287 people. 62% of these people were male. 38% of them were female. 40% of them were millennials. 31% were Gen X. Go Gen X. 16% were boomers or my parents. And 14% were Gen Z or my children. In this report, there'll be a link in the show notes. Shout out to Matt, who does our show notes, does a great job. Uh, There'll be a link in there so you can see all of the stuff because they also have political party, race or ethnicity, community, and annual income, which is always a fun question to ask of a small sample size what your annual income is because guarantee a lot of them lie about uh, their annual income, especially if a majority of them were millennials. Just to point this out, 40% of the survey were millennials, and 32% said that their annual income was over $100,000. I don't know about you, John, but the millennials are just starting in the workforce. If they're already making over $100,000, I'm super jealous.
0: Uh, Yeah, man. (laughs) We're in the wrong game.
1: Right, exactly. So anyway, the Morning Consult uh, said that one in five podcast listeners would subscribe to a paid platform. Amongst all podcast listeners, 67% said they were unlikely to subscribe to a paid platform. Only 20% said they were likely. 14% said they don't know or have no opinion. Of the frequent podcast listeners, though, it actually increases to 27% are likely to subscribe to a paid platform. 58% say they are unlikely. I find this interesting, John, because I still believe since we have over 1.6 million podcasts in the Apple Podcast listening app. And we'll talk about those at the end of the show. There's so many different versions out there. Why do I have to pay to listen to this content? I don't have to, unless it's something that's super targeted or super niche that I can't get anywhere else.
0: that's kind of what we were talking about with the megaphone acquisition. If it's going to this closed market, these numbers here—it seems like they're more likely to stay away from Spotify rather than listening for free on on Apple.
1: Sure, you can listen for free on Spotify, but it'll be an ad-supported when you listen for free. I will tell you, as I listen to a majority of my podcasts now on Spotify, and that's only because I was so old school for the longest time. I still had an iPod that finally died on me uh, last year. I switched to Spotify, and so I've gotten myself into a habit of listening on Spotify. Me too. There's still a couple of podcasts I have to listen to on my Apple podcast app, which I don't prefer because I I don't find that experience to be one that is very enjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Apple. I'm just being honest. Uh, The the Apple podcast app is not fun to try and listen to your podcast. That's why I like the iPod. The iPod was great because I could plug the iPod in. I downloaded the podcast I wanted to listen to and bam, I listened to them. And every now and then I would delete the old podcasts off the iPod and keep adding new ones. But I'm old school that way. Apparently people didn't like that. People just want to have the experience of turning the thing on and hitting the play button, which you can't do on Apple Podcasts anyway. No. Point is, you can listen for free on Spotify, and there are others that you can listen to for free. Uh, One of the apps that people listen to the most, according to our stats, on this podcast is Overcast, which is a paid listening app you have to pay to to download the Overcast listening app. That's also interesting to note, which I don't believe is included in this particular research. Ad-free services bundling is most likely to motivate non-subscribers to check out paid platforms. So I find this extremely interesting. If the service was bundled with other streaming options, according to frequent podcast listeners, 61% would be more likely to pay for a subscription service, if it was bundled. And to me, that just makes sense. And I'll use Disney Plus as an example. Uh, John and I were talking about that. I, my Disney Plus subscription is coming up for renewal. I currently have the Disney Plus and ESPN Plus bundle, but I can actually upgrade that to the Hulu to add Hulu to it for a very nominal fee. And I'm going to, I'm going to buy all three services. I use the ESPN Plus every now and then. I use Disney Plus often, and that's mainly for the Mandalorian. Hulu, I don't know. I'll probably check it out, but there's not much on Hulu that I can't get from my regular cable. And I'm not ready to cut regular cable because I'm a sports guy. For John, the bundle, that bundle doesn't necessarily make the most sense. But Disney Plus probably makes sense for your family's needs. Yeah, I agree. So if I could get podcast listening thrown, you know, some exclusive podcasts thrown in there with maybe a Spotify premium and get, you know, an ad-free listening experience on podcasts and get all of the music that Spotify makes available. That might be a little enticing. The first thing it shows here, Jay, is that the service
0: is ad-free and the frequent podcast listeners are more likely to go into one of these paid platforms. And that's a little bit different than what we covered last week's in last week's report Where they said most of those listeners didn't really care if there were ads, if I remember correctly.
1: I think that's true. But I also think, again, understanding that this particular sample is smaller and that this particular sample also skewed more towards the millennial than the report that we reported on last week.
0: This one's more skewed towards the listener, where last week we were saying that it was more towards the
1: podcaster. Mm -hmm. I think that's also uh, a key point. Uh, Listeners will have a very different experience and opinion about podcasting than actual podcasters will have about their medium that they create in. By the way, offering exclusive access to your favorite podcast, only 54% said of frequent podcast listeners said that they would be inclined to purchase the product versus 61% said they would get the service because it's ad-free. And sixty-one percent said they would get it because it's bundled with other streaming options. So, putting your favorite podcast behind a paywall isn't necessarily in your best interest.
0: Are you looking at a uh, Michelle Obama and and uh, Joe Rogan?
1: <laughs> well, uh, yes, for a couple of reasons. I mean, Joe Rogan is sort of an animal upon himself. He's a unicorn, if you want to, if you want to use that term. One of those. Tech terms that I despise, but I'll use it in this particular instance because it sort of is true. Uh, the Michelle Obama one. There was a rumor, and I will I will state that this is a rumor. I am re uh, what I'm about to say is a rumor. It is not fact. <laughs> it is not based on anything that I know. It, as a matter of fact, I have no inside knowledge to this whatsoever. But there was a rumor that the Michelle Obama podcast, which was originally offered as a, a Spotify exclusive was then released everywhere so that people could listen to it. The rumor was that Spotify couldn't meet the demand by leaving the podcast exclusive to the advertisers that had pre-bought into the podcast. So they needed some make goods, and the best way for them to get the make goods was by offering the podcast everywhere instead of just a small 10% of the total listening universe that could listen to Michelle Obama's podcast. You can look at that rumor and you can see how you can engineer it so that it sounds extremely factual. At the same time, you can you can also say that the reason why it was offered everywhere is just because the topics that Michelle were tackling were based on the election that we just had and it was too important to leave that message in one area. They wanted to get the message out to more people. You can take both of those however you wish to. And I will restate that what I had said before about the make goods was merely a rumor. And I could probably get myself in trouble for restating rumors, but I I, I still think it's important to report on things that are out there in the universe. Now, the podcast listener's optimal price tag for a podcast platform subscription. How much money do you think people are willing to pay to get their podcasts, John? As little as possible. (laughs) You would think. The optimal price between all adults and podcast listeners falls at $10. And I'm assuming that's $10 a month. Yes, monthly fee. Uh, Amongst all adults, the optimal price is at $7. Their lowest price is at $5. Amongst podcast listeners, their lowest price is at $8. Their highest price, they're willing to pay up to $14 for, for a subscription service. I've said this before, and one of the things that I get most concerned about with all of these streaming options is one, a podcast streaming option isn't just competing against podcasts, it's also competing against Hulu and Disney Plus and all the television streaming options that are out there. And a user only has so many 5 to $10 a month options in their wallet. So when they get to another monthly fee, they go, do I have $10 a month for this particular service? Or can I get Away with not paying this $10. Will my life be significantly better or worse if I don't pay for this subscription? And I think in podcasting, people don't need to pay at this particular point in time. Right. So I think it's dangerous to say that the optimal price is $10 a month, basing that off of a survey of 1,200 people. So again, take all of what has been said here and remember what where this information is derived from and how it was derived because I don't necessarily think $10 a month is the sweet spot for a paid podcast subscription. I think it's less than $5 a month. And frankly, I think $5 a month is expensive. Wow. Let's put it this way. For myself personally, I will never pay to listen to podcasts. I'll repeat that for everyone to hear. I will never pay to listen to your podcast, because I will find the other podcasts that I don't have to pay for. And Adam Curry is currently making podcasting 2.0 on the podcastindex.org, and he has his value-for-value value system so that you can pay whatever you feel that is that it's worth. But at the end of the day, they're not making you pay anything to listen to those podcasts. Until we get to a day where 100% of podcasts have some sort of fee attached to them, I will find the free one because there's enough of them out there that are for free. Now, I think
0: where the the subscription model comes into for smaller podcasters is if you have more exclusive content, you would have your, your free podcasts out there. But if your audience is looking for more information on a specific topic, then those you could put behind a paywall. And they can subscribe to that for a fee.
1: Now, this last option here, Spotify and Apple are podcast listeners' favorite platforms. First, I would say the question is, what is your favorite platform for listening to podcasts? It doesn't say, what platform are you using to listen to podcasts? It just says, what's your favorite platform for listening to podcasts? That's a very different question yes. than what you're actually listening to. So amongst all podcast listeners, and again, remember the sample size, said Spotify, 22% said Apple, 19% said XM owned platforms, which include Pandora and Stitcher, 11% said iHeartMedia, 7% said Other, and 10% said None of the Above, which don't know how you could have None of the Above if there's an Other category, but sure, we'll run with it. Frequent podcast listeners now say that 35% Spotify is their favorite podcast platform. 25% say Apple, 17% say SiriusXM, 10% say iHeart. Very small percentage say Wondery. I say Wondery is important to note of frequent podcast listeners, because to me, that person is only listening to Wondery podcasts, because the Wondery app doesn't offer anything but Wondery podcasts. Remember the sample size. If you have 1,200 listeners, you're going to find that one person. You might have that one person that listens to nothing but Wondery podcasts. I think that's important to note here when when you see some of these surveys. By the way, this is the poll conducted October 8th to the 11th was among 2,171 U.S. adults who listened to podcasts. All podcast listeners was those who have listened to it a few times a year. Frequent podcast listeners was the 1,200 people that listened to it a few times a week. Not exactly the greatest study here from the Morning Consult. It does give you at least a little bit of insight, but I would take all of these insights with a grain of salt, understanding the sample size, when the sample was conducted, and how the questions were worded. Because I could say Spotify is my favorite platform to listen to, but ultimately end up listening to my podcast on Apple. Yeah, I thought that was a little misleading there. When I first read
0: it, I was like, well, that's not true. Apple is the most listened to platform, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the favorite platform, which I agree with. I'd I'd rather listen to a podcast on Spotify than Apple. It's more user-friendly, but most people, they will listen to it on Apple, whether they like it or not. Pretty much.
1: I mean, if you have an iPhone, there's a podcast listening app that's automatically installed. On your, on your iPhone. If you have a Google phone, there isn't, an, there isn't a podcasting app automatically installed. No, there isn't. At least not that you can see on your Google phone. And that's always been sort of the contention in the podcasting space is podcasting is really an Apple experience. It's all been based off of Apple. There is a much larger contingent of people that own something other than an iPhone, that that potential universe is humongous. And that is where the growth for the podcasting industry really lies. And we've been talking about it for years. Spotify is helping to start bridging that gap. And we've seen that in, in research that's been done by some of the other companies in foreign countries that are not the United States or Canada. We're seeing that, especially in Europe, where Spotify is a larger listening platform than Apple. But there's still a long ways to go. And Spotify, according to Libsyn, is still only 10% of the listening universe. And by the way, I will utilize the stats from Libsyn in this particular regard, even though it is only a portion of the total podcasting space because Libsyn is the largest podcast host in the podcasting ecosphere. John, I think it's time for you to teach me a lesson.
0: Sounds good, Jay. Let's get to microphone techniques. Now, the audio quality of your podcast depends on several things. And in past episodes, we've discussed setting up the proper recording space. Another key to great audio is how you use your microphone in this recording space. And we'll call this mic technique. We've all heard podcasts where the host or guest is so far away from the microphone it sounds like they're in a different room. And like
1: this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep, is, is, exactly. Is are
1: talking about?
0: Okay. Yes it is. And we've also heard the podcaster who is sitting so close that you hear the popping and sibilance and mouth clicking being picked up on the mic. Like this, John. Is
1: <laughs> is this what you're talking about? I'm, I'm I shouldn't be talking into the microphone like this. Is that what you're saying?
0: No. And now what I can do in post is kind of level those out a little bit, but it's still going to sound like crap. So most times, sibilance, plosives, clipping, and the roominess that we just heard Jay example for us, they can be avoided altogether by adopting better microphone techniques.
1: I should add, uh, because you're using words like sibilance and plosives, some of us, probably most of us know what those mean, but just in case you don't. Sibilance is the ss sound, the, the sounds that your S's make. And sometimes when you're too close, those S's really become a hiss and can be really aggravating on the ear. Yes, Plosives begins with plosive. The P sounds especially can be especially hard. And you'll hear the term popping your P's. Yes. And when you're up close to a microphone, when you pop those peas, you can really hear that 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 breath explode, if you will, out of your mouth. Uh, you can you you can minimize that by talking away from your mic and not popping your peas directly into your microphone. You're giving me a lot of work this week, Joe, with your with all this editing. Well, don't correct my examples.
0: <laughs> As a concept, mic technique is your relationship to your microphone when recording. And these can include things like uh, choosing the best location for your recording, choosing the right microphone, using recording accessories, I would say, and understanding mic position and proximity.
1: What sort of accessories would you use to limit sibilance and plosives? There's a couple things you can do here. You can use a
0: pop filter, which is either an attachment to the mic stand or one of those phone pieces to place over the head of the mic. These minimize the amount of air being pushed into the diaphragm of the microphone. They can minimize and eliminate the plosives when you speak, but I'd say they're more for preventing singers from spitting on expensive studio microphones or passing COVID from one broadcaster to another. There's other ways that you can reduce or eliminate plosives by your mic position as well.
1: John, I, I do not necessarily have the best mic technique, but I can tell you on my Blue Yeti, I Place my blue yeti on a diagonal to yes. to my mouth, so that i that I'm trying to talk across the microphone as much as possible. It's not directly in front of my face, so again I'm trying to limit my the the amount of air that I'm pushing in directly into the diaphragm of my microphone so that it limits that. I also tend to talk away from the mic Correct. i don't talk I don't talk off the mic way back here <laughs> my mic is probably further away than what most people would tell you what the average distance should be from your microphone.
0: Well, I I agree. I mean, my microphone is also on an off axis angle. But what I generally say for the distance away from a microphone is about four inches is a good starting point. An easy way to figure this out is if you put your fist up between your mouth and your microphone, that's a, a good starting point. Now, different mics have different levels of sensitivities, so you want your tone of your voice to sound full and up front like a natural conversation, so you might have a little bit of adjustment depending on the mic
1: yeah, I will tell you I just pulled out my ruler and i'm about I'm almost about a full foot away, okay, and I know that's not perfect mic technique, but that's sort of where I feel comfortable with and again, I would say I would add this to your lesson is whatever position you end up deciding works best for you, just make sure that you remain consistent with it so that when you are in post-production and you're doing the things to sort of fix your audio quality, it will remain consistent throughout. That's right. So the microphone. After you
0: choose the best location for your recording your podcast, which we've covered that in past episodes. You don't need an expensive microphone to create the best audio files, but knowing what kind of mic to choose, that is important. And there's two different types of mics that are more prevalent in in podcasting. One is the condenser mic, and the other is a dynamic mic. The condenser mic is crystal clear, but that also means it picks up imperfections in the environment around you. I recommend these in professional studio settings, or if you have a lot of extra time to do editing the dynamic mic is great for podcasting they're a lot cheaper than condenser mics and more importantly they are less sensitive to your environment and can handle higher sound levels now on your dynamic microphone you should choose one that has a cardioid polar pattern which refers to the space around the mic's capsule where it's most sensitive for example in in front of the mic It isolates a speaker, and it reduces unwanted background noise from all other angles. Do you know what the cardioid pattern looks like?
1: I do. It looks like a butt. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the answer I was thinking, but... (laughs) I will tell you, on the the Blue Yeti, you have a couple of different options, and I'm going to move my microphone, which, again, is not the best mic technique, so I can look directly at this. So now I should sound like I'm behind my microphone. Mm Mm-hmm. But there is there are a couple of different settings, and the first two on my microphone, the first one is uh, two overlapping circles, which you definitely do not want as no. your setting on your blue microphone, blue Yeti. The second one it looks almost like a full circle. It looks almost like it looks like a gumdrop, and you don't want that one either because that's going to take pick up too much sound from your surrounding area. And then the next one is the butt. It looks like it looks like an upside-down heart. uh, That's the answer I was looking for. To be a little (laughs) bit more exact. If you had a wet bottom and you were to sit down, it would leave this type of impression as well. Uh and then the last one on here is two smaller circles connected to each other, and you definitely don't want that one. So this is the this is the butt uh symbol. This is (laughs) for the cardioid. Now, this is what it sounds like on the very first. One, I can already hear a difference, by mm. the way, in my headphones, which is... Yes. absolutely ...outrageous. The gumdrop symbol. Uh, again, I'm still talking across my microphone on the diagonal, uh, which is probably why that first one, the overlapping circles, sounded different. And now, two circles that are next to each other. Um, I'm not 100%. I believe... Oh, uh, yeah, there we go. So I believe the two circles... Next to each other means I can talk to the front of the microphone or I can talk to the back of the microphone. Oh my God, does that sound different?
0: <laughs> now that would be bad if, you're, if your microphone is sitting in front of a computer or, or in front of a window with a busy highway, then you're going to pick up a lot of reflections and a lot of room tone from the, from the back of the microphone. So that's why it's good to have the cardioid pattern with the, uh, the butt or the heart shape. So the only thing that you're getting in the microphone is from the front of the microphone.
1: The other important thing to know about a Blue Yeti microphone is the front of your microphone is the spot right above where it says blue. Basically, the front of your microphone. It's not the top. No. So you're not talking into it like it's a missile. uh, And it's not the backside, which is... I've moved back to the butt. (laughs) Since so, so I'm on the back side of the microphone right now. Yeah, you don't want to talk into the butt side of the microphone. Talk into the front of your microphone. Or I would
0: call that the side of the microphone. There's, a, there's two different types of microphone designs the front address and the side address. The front address is what I am speaking in the Electro Voice RU20, where I'm speaking directly into the head of the microphone. The head of the microphone is perpendicular to, to my body where your microphone, the Yeti, is a side address microphone, and it is parallel to you. So you're not speaking on top of it, you're speaking into the side of it.
1: <laughs> the, the, the problem that a lot of people have with Blue Yetis and why they say they sound terrible is because they often are talking into the, what they think is the top of the microphone. Yes. So it's like a missile coming right yep. out of their face.
0: Now That's the way I'm speaking in my, into mine. Mine's a missile coming right for me.
1: But yours is designed that way. Correct.
0: Correct. Now, one time I was asked to do a live recording of a sports podcast. And when I arrived, they had their own equipment set up. And they intended to use one mic in the middle of the table for the three of them to share. Ooh. And <laughs> well, luckily for them, I, I had brought the correct equipment to record. And the lesson of this is. You should use separate mics for each person. If you record your podcast with a co-host or a guest and they're in the same room, it's best not to use the same microphone because you can't really position a microphone in a room for everyone to use it effectively.
1: Now, the reason why the Yeti has those different options is because you could use the microphone in that setting. It's just not... You're not going to get the best possible sound by using that setting. It should be like a last-minute, I've-got-no-other-option option.
0: Once you have your, your microphone set up, there's a couple other things that you can use to improve your, your mic setup. One is headphones. You have to know how your recording sounds, so not only to hear your voice, but also taking a second to listen through headphones can alert you to ambient sounds like cars, hump from electronics, the HVAC system running. My printer cleaning itself, things like that. You should use a mic stand. Now, an easy solution is a desktop stand, but also be mindful of bumping the desk, typing on your keyboard, and he, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and clicking the mouse. Having a mic stand that isn't attached to or on the desk could be helpful if you have any nervous twitches while recording, or if uh, you're you're heavy-handed. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm sorry. am I not supposed to do that? Wait, wait. Oh, sorry.
0: Perfect example. Of course, we've already covered the having a pop filter, but there's other ways around a pop filter by having your mic off axis.
1: Yeah, I've never been a big fan of the pop filter. So the, so th- there's, there's a couple of different pop filters. There's the one that sort of connects to the microphone and then it's off, it's off of the microphone and there's like a big circle. Yes. You'll see a lot of people do this and they'll use a uh, pantyhose yeah to make, this, <laughs> to make their own sort of DIY pop filter, if you will. that one's mostly fine though the one that you put directly on top of your microphone, though, that one can bring a muffled a little bit of a muffled sound yes. to what you're recording and on that instance, usually when I use, when I use a pop filter like that, you will find me talk much closer, much closer. to my microphone because. Yes. It does muffle the sound quite a bit.
0: Those are also handy if you're recording in a windy environment or a noisy environment.
1: The other thing is, as you mentioned before, in the now COVID era uh, of things, when I've, when I've watched my favorite radio shows do their television programs, you see them at the end of their show start taking the pop filter off of yep. the microphone because they're not sharing their pop filters anymore. One more tip.
0: Uh, it's something that I've learned over the years. Miking location sound it's be mindful of what you're wearing and doing while recording not only the nervous ticks, but jewelry jackets scratching your beard squeaky chairs all of these can be picked up in the microphone as well
1: <laughs> I'm trying to give you all the bad sound that i can possibly give you john to to provide the examples for the listening audience and i will have to keep those in there in this particular section but just know that I do these all during the podcast, and John takes them all out.
0: For those that edit their own podcasts, if you DS through a lot of processing, it could uh, negatively affect the quality of the, of the audio, and it might unintentionally give your speaker a lisp.
1: Yes. I've noticed, so uh, not only when I've done DSing, but when I've done any sort of sound removal or EQing. While it might sound great for that one particular area that I'm trying to fix to make it sound really, really nice, if you apply it to apply the it entire recording, yep. it can oftentimes make the rest of your recording sound really, really bad. Be careful of that. I, I find I have this problem mostly when you, you mentioned before, like when the air conditioning goes on and off in the background, and I hear it, and the hum is really loud. Yep. And I try and remove it, and I decide I'm going to remove it from the entire show, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, I sound like this. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know what happened,
0: but for some reason, I don't sound right. As we've been saying the past couple episodes, better equipment can certainly improve sound quality, but the average listener isn't going to benefit from that as much as learning basic mic techniques. Good mic technique can elevate a cheap microphone, But poor technique can ruin the recording on all microphones. You can't fix everything in posts. If your recording is crap, it's probably going to still be
1: crap. Mm. Yes. I believe there's a a common phrase amongst engineers out there about crap in, crap Crap out. out. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. All right, John. uh, Thanks for that wonderful lesson. I don't know if I was a help or a hindrance in that particular regard. But uh, I hope I, I hope everyone got at least a little bit of a smile and a chuckle out of my examples. <laughs> Mypodcastreviews.com uh, is where we'll get our insights into the growth of podcasting, at least in the Apple Podcast listening app. And these are courtesy of my podcast reviews by Daniel J. Lewis and John. Daniel has once again tweeted at the real podvader. He said to proactively respond to you. See how good I am at saying I'm going to do things that I don't do? (laughs) I was adjusting some things on my data and still working on updating the historical data, but it's now all reconciled again, including fixing the August asterisks I hated seeing. For any of the things that we've discussed regarding my podcast reviews, Daniel J. Lewis has gone in and fixed a lot of those issues. It looks like it. Great. So we are currently up to 1,615,000 478 total valid podcasts in the Apple podcasting app. John, how many total episodes are available? A lot.
0: 40,745,732.
1: In the month of October, the total was 1.582 uh, million podcasts. Month of September, 1.498 million. So you can see the amount of growth from September to October, and currently where we are now, here in the month of November. There were, in the last 30 days, 99,232 podcasts added to the Apple Podcasting app. How many in the last 90 days, John? 281,630. That is crazy. Remember, pre-COVID... We just reached the 1 million mark. Just in the last three months, we added almost a third of what we had total before COVID. People are recording podcasts like they're going out of style. Uh Literally, the joke, everyone has a podcast, isn't a joke anymore. (laughs) It
0: is. It's true.
1: There were 10,249 podcasts removed in the last 30 days. How many were removed in the last 90 days?
0: 34,824.
1: Now, podcasts may be removed manually or automatically from Apple Podcasts for technical problems, hiding or removing by podcaster's choice, or policy violations. Apple does not remove valid podcasts for being inactive. For instance, a person may decide that they're going to create a podcast, and then they'll just stop doing the podcast, which is something we talked about Mm -hmm. last week. As always, we will keep our eye on all of the new stuff that gets added and removed uh, via mypodcastreviews.com. Thank you so much to Daniel J. Lewis for doing all of this heavy lifting and work, and uh, thanks for proactively tweeting me so I don't have to reach out to you myself. (laughs) Of course, if I ever do have a question, I will reach directly out to Daniel J. Lewis to get more information about what it is he's seeing in the raw numbers in the Apple Podcast app. Uh, Another big shout out to our buddy there, uh, Joey, who does uh, Joey's Totally Tech. Uh, Hopefully you've had a chance to listen to an episode by now and give Joey a shout out and say, hey, I heard you from the queued up podcast on podcasting. John, any last words before we say goodbye for now? Go Eagles. (laughs) Oh, how dare you? (laughs) Throw in a sports reference here at the (laughs) end of the show. Uh, although nextfanup at gmail.com. That's the email address for my football podcast that I do. Uh, that's three days a week. It's probably the best way to reach me via email. And of course I'm at the real pod Vader on Twitter, the real pod Vader. Yes. All of that is one word on Twitter. My DMS are open. So I'm very accessible for you to talk to John. How can people get in touch with you?
0: Sure. You can reach out on the website at QD hyphen up.com that's cuteup.com through email at info at cuteup.com or you can even reach out on to linkedin i'm on there as well
1: yes linkedin's another great way to get in touch with me so uh until next week i'm jay he's john there you have it